trauma from the ocean of, of having spent three days in conditions where I didn't know if I was going to survive, if I didn't know, I didn't know that I was going to be okay. My journey with the trauma um, over the last few years has been messy as anything, <laughs> but ultimately really kind of powerful and healing for the self-knowledge that I've gained, the peace that I've found, the sort of self-love that I've been able to cultivate, um, the the connection, the increased kind of connection with myself and the world and, and others and, and empathy for others that, that that's helped foster as well, um, which has been really, yeah, really magic. And I, I kind of, I, I wouldn't have wanted it to be any other way. Um, that sense of just, I, I need to experience this to, to let it move through me. And I think with the ocean, you know, on a, on a physical level, there's, there's something really resonant about that in as much as you, you can't control the ocean. The ocean does move through you and over you and crash on top of you. And, and you just have to find ways to keep getting up and staying afloat. And I think sort of as a metaphor for life, there's something really um, sort of profound in that really around that sense of this will pass, this will pass. And, and I think there's something with the ocean that at times was almost much easier to hold on to that because of the sort of the simplicity of, of life at sea. And as much as like, this is your arena, this is where you're surviving day to day and, and you're confronted daily by yourself. There's no escape from who you are and how you are. Hello everyone and welcome to Intimacy with the World podcast. I am Dorita Holm, your host on this show, where we explore what it really means to live a meaningful life. Today I am bringing you a guest that I resonate very much with. There are so many parallels to her story and my story. First, of setting out to sea at a young age and living through all those experiences, both exquisitely beautiful ones, like being close up with sperm whales, but also, in my guest's case, the scars that come from having to endure a tropical storm out on the Pacific Ocean for days before finally being rescued. My guest is no other than legendary Sarah Uten, who at 23 years old set out to row alone across the Indian Ocean. On that first journey, she rowed 4,000 miles and it took her four months and hundreds of chocolate bars. And after successfully completing that feat, she continued her adventures by cycling and rowing around the world. I asked Sarah to send me her bio, and this is what I received. Sarah Uten once chased a life of grand adventures, including long, slow solo expeditions across oceans. Nowadays, she sees adventure and life a bit differently. Sarah lives in Oxfordshire, UK, with her wife Lucy and three donkeys. That's Sarah Uten for you. In the show notes, you will find the link to the amazing film about her adventure, and her book about the journey is called Daring to Do. And she did, however, tell me that her next book is going to be called Daring to Be. A really interesting contrast, I thought. Anyway, here is our conversation. Enjoy. 
Hello, Sarah, and welcome to Intimacy with the World podcast. Hey, thank you for having me, Dorita. It's good <laughs> so, to be here. Yeah, I'm so, so glad to see you. I've heard so much about you. So it's about time we meet and have a conversation. <laughs> Since we have both spent a lot of time on the ocean, we will have a lot to speak about. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And then here's to the day when we can actually be on the ocean together as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. May that day come soon. So uh, for our listeners, I think it would be really nice if you told us just a little bit about yourself. I know that you are English and I know that you live in inland Britain. You don't actually live by the sea, but then you've, sailed, you've rowed in a small rowing boat across all the great oceans of the world and you've also cycled so you've been all around the world self-powered either cycling or rowing uh, so tell us a little bit about the backstory how does a girl that doesn't even live by the sea at age 23 start that journey of rowing around the world in a small boat mm. yeah it's an interesting one I think I think I live in the sea in my heart and my soul and I've, I sort of always just felt very connected to myself and the world when I'm outside, um, <clears throat> in or around the water or not, you know, even inland here in Oxfordshire in England, where I am at the moment. Um, we've just been talking about having our hands in the earth. And I was out in the woods this morning. And um, from a young age, I just knew that that's kind of where I felt most at home, I suppose. And... Um, with my family we'd just spend lots of time outside as well and and that grew into kind of trips away and things with clubs at school and and my kayaking club locally to where I grew up um, and I, I remember through my teenage years just really really got, getting a sense of how much I loved being the engine behind where I wanted to go and um, sort of human powered journeys of whatever shape, length, form, etc. And I heard about Ellen MacArthur, brilliant yachtswoman, when I was 15 or 16. And she was, I don't know, I guess, eight or nine years older than me at that point. So for me as a young woman who was loving kind of finding my way in the world, I suppose, and finding my connection to being in the world, um, it was hugely inspiring to, to see her out there racing and uh, making these great journeys across the sea and I, I had a sense that one day I wanted to make a big sea journey as well but had no idea you know what that would be or how. Um, then heading off to university I rowed a lot just cr like crew rowing so river rowing river racing um, and loved that and so when when I was, I was just 20, I suppose, coming up to 21, I heard about ocean rowing and a race that was happening across the Atlantic Ocean. To me, that was just like a really simple but beautiful equation of oceans, rowing, massive adventure. And I, I was that naive and I suppose full of my own conviction to, to know that I wanted to go and row across an ocean. It was like, oh yes, this is this is what happens. And um, I thought that I'd row with a team to start with because solo sort of hadn't occurred to me. And why would I go solo when I could go with a team? So I started looking at all the different options for how 
that would kind of work and how I'd go from being a student that thought she wanted to row across an ocean one day with no team and no money to somebody who you know had it all in place and a few months into that process my dad died really suddenly mm. and unexpectedly and that was such a turning point in my life for I suppose various things I mean first and foremost just that real kind of blunt truth that we're all mortal mm. and someone who you believe to kind of just always be able to get better from anything dies on you like whoa that's shaken my world up and anyway that one of the big things that it shook was that sense of um going rowing to 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 become a solo voyage that was more about um, or more than just having an adventure it was going to be I saw it I kind of held I knew I felt that it, it was going to be a way for me to heal yeah. um, and get through that big unknown of grief and as I spent those three years of um, of finishing my degree and, and figuring out all the different pieces to get me to Australia with a little boat to go and row across this massive ocean um, I had a, I had a strong sense of I know that I've never rowed across an ocean before and, and you know there's a first time for doing everything so I know that I'm going to be tested but I had this conviction that it's going to be okay because I'm surviving grief and that is a total unknown with um, these forces that I can't control and this sense of aloneness in that as well um so that's that's kind of how that came to be um and yeah I rode across the Indian Ocean from Australia to Mauritius when I was well I had my 24th birthday at sea so <laughs> a few months in that period and and that journey led on to a, a kind of a, a questing for more I suppose and this wonderful thing of opening a world up or showing you a part of a world that somehow you sensed you'd always known you were a part of and and that that to me like being at sea and, and also showing that it was possible to live at sea for months at a time and it had given me a confidence in I suppose in myself and in knowing that okay that was huge but it happened and I'd like to go and see the other oceans and go across land and I suppose fueled by that kind of um, excitement at having done it and the confidence of oh, well it's not rocket science Sarah <laughs> with a good dose of naivety I mean how naive was I um, but I think that's such a wonderful thing too you know when we don't have the experience and the knowledge of all the difficulties and challenges and all the you know, we can't hear the conditioning around us that says, no, you can't, mm -hmm. then it's just phenomenal what can happen. Yeah. So, I was yeah. going to ask you about that because <laughs> I was, I had just turned 21 when I set out to sail around the world in, in my own sailboat. And now I'm 45 
And that idea would never ever occur to me now <laughs> because I know too much. It's like, yes, it's just so difficult. <laughs> and there are so many challenges on the way, and there are so many dangers, and there's so much to organize, and there's so much to fear, and there's so many obstacles. No, let's just sit in the sofa. <laughs> <laughs> I Or hear just, you on that. I hear let's you. go and do some gardening. Instead. Yeah. <laughs> go and trim the roses. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? And I don't know about you, but for me at that age, when I came back from the Indian Ocean and was thinking of, um, and, and the Indian Ocean as well, you know, you said, you know, it just wouldn't occur to me to, to think to do that now because of all the dangers, the organizational stuff, etc. There was a sense for me in the Indian Ocean journey of this just makes so much sense to me. And if somebody tried challenging me, it was as though they were trying to tell me the sky wasn't blue. I was like, well, of course the sky is blue. What yeah. do you mean? And then in, in going away the second time and for an even longer journey, I certainly had a sense of, um, I suppose two things were really key. One was that I had no responsibilities really, you know, I, I was single, I didn't have a mortgage or a, a job, I was self-employed, you know, nothing like that. So there was something there about sensing, right now I'm free to go. And also there was something about the finiteness of time. Like I had a sense that time moves, you know, my dad's death and his long, long chronic ill health, um, well, long is chronic, isn't it? His chronic ill health before I died had, shown me just how precious uh, health is and, and his death had shown me how precious life is. So I also had a sense of, well, if I don't do this now, when will I be able to do it? Mm. What, if, what if responsibilities come along or my health goes? Mm. Um, you know, that, there was something very timely about, about that moment as well, which I think like you said around, um, you know, it just wouldn't occur to me now because of all of these things that stand in the way, I definitely, I think that that hindsight of knowledge and the um, yeah, the, almost like the anxieties of being a bit older somehow means that I yeah that wouldn't be on my radar right now either. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe also it's not just anxieties, but there's different needs, isn't there? Like yeah, there's a yeah. there's a need now for me to feel more rooted and have yes. my hands in the earth and see my family more and create a family of my own and. Yeah, it's probably a pretty natural trajectory. I imagine that when you're when you're that young in your very early 20s, it's like, oh, I want to see the world. I want to challenge myself. I even want to challenge the world. You know, it's like, yes. I can take it all on. Yes, yes. <laughs> Bring I it to agree. me. <laughs> yeah. And then now sometimes I'm like, no, 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 take the world away. That's okay. There's enough challenge right here. That's yeah. all right. Yeah, there's <laughs> enough challenge in trimming the rose bush. <laughs> yes. I'd say just in surviving, just in surviving. Um, yeah, one, one, one big difference between your journey and my journey. I was away for three years also. Mm -hmm. uh, but of course, I was on a sailboat that was 44 mm -hmm. feet. And I was hardly ever alone because I financed the trip by having paying crew. What a so, good idea. Yeah. That's sensible. Well yeah. done, you. <laughs> so often we had we were eight people on board. Sometimes we were six, five, four, whatever. So for those three years, I was never alone. <laughs> Interesting. How was that though? Because you've got eight people on a boat and you you can't escape them for 3,000 no. miles. I mean, that's yeah. hard sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but I think that comes back to what you said. That would be impossible for me today. 
because yeah. it's like yeah. no i need my solitude <laughs> <laughs> but when you're 20 you're so much more tolerant don't you think hmm. i'm just trying to think back to being 20 and was i more tolerant or not um i i do you know i don't know i think i'd probably would I be more tolerant now or just able to be with difference differently now? I don't know. That's interesting. I mean, I've never mm. spent that period of time with uh, people all yeah. the time or, or that sort of distance and things. But um, did you, would you, would you do something in solitude now at sea? Yeah. Now know, I would do it in miles solitude. And miles? Now I would rather do it in solitude for sure. But I mean, it was great having all those people and it didn't bother me. It was not a problem for me then. But now I don't think I'd want to be surrounded by lots of people so close. Not because I don't think I, I could deal with it. I'm sure I could deal with it much better than then because I'm, you know, um, our, our edges get rounded a bit as the years go mm -hmm. by. No, but just just uh, because I know what I want, then mm -hmm. everything was a bit wild. Whatever. Lots of people. Mm -hmm. Sure. Alone. Sure. Whatever. <laughs> like there wasn't much choice somehow True, eh? just went along with 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 what life threw at me <laughs> yeah yeah but one thing that so you I went with all these people and I was on a a, a, a sizable boat and I had sails on the boat but you were crossing the the Indian Ocean for four months on your own rowing that must seem really slow to you for someone who has <laughs> sails and a fast boat and crew to man the boat at night or when you're asleep and so on. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the solitude, uh, I, 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 say for, so for example, you said that when your father died, it was like, no, you know what? I need to do this journey on my mm -hmm. own. So it sounds a bit like there was an inner journey there as well, right? Mm -hmm. With your grief and all that. So I'm wondering your fa father died and then you did go on that journey on your own four months on your own totally on your own on the ocean hmm. did that inner journey with the grief i mean I some some somewhere i've heard you say that that journey across the indian ocean was all about letting go letting go of the grief letting go of fear uh, letting go of limiting beliefs um so how how did that process, that inner process, mm -hmm. play out? Mm, messily at times. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think it was it was so interesting to me because that was the first, it was you know that was the first version of all of that that I'd had in my life. You know the most extreme versions of of having to be and having to survive, um, and I suppose with that sort of newness of experience there's a it's almost like there's a surrendering to it in some ways mm. and and that mirrors to me my sense of how I would get through grief when when it first happened that my dad died when my dad first died I had this sense of I'm just going to let grief do what it needs to do you know I'm not going to try and shut it down or repress it and I don't know, in, in some ways that's interesting because I look back now and I think, well, it kind of maybe did happen a bit, but um, that sense of just, I, I need to experience this to, to let it move through me. And I think with the ocean, you know, on a, on a physical level, there's, there's something really resonant about that in as much as you, you can't control the ocean. The ocean does move through you and over you and crash on top of you. And, and you just have to find ways to 
keep getting up and staying afloat. And I think sort of as a metaphor for life, there's something really um, sort of profound in that really around that sense of this will pass, this will pass. And, and I think there's something with the ocean that at times was almost much easier to hold on to that because of the sort of the simplicity of, of life at sea. And as much as like, this is your arena, this is where you're surviving day to day and, and you're confronted daily by yourself. There's no escape from who you are and how you are mm -hmm. in that moment. Yeah. And such that like, you have to be with it and, and you have to you have to find a way to get through it in a way that on land quote unquote at home there's just so much other stuff that can get in the way sometimes which I think somehow feels more challenging sometimes to come back to that sense of this is moving this is passing you can do this and with myself you know being being by myself um, for so long um, I suppose I used, again, maybe quite naively, but actually I kind of salute the wisdom of 23-year-old me for how she approached it in as much as kind of going, well, this is new and unknown and difficult, but I have done difficult things before. And my way of, um, I suppose, preparing for, for life at sea was to go and do some difficult things so that I could say, yes, I've run a marathon and all my toenails fell off and, and that was hard. So I know I can do hard, painful things. Um, I'm, I'm surviving grief. That's really hard. Or I've done this. That's really hard. And to then when I was at sea, remind myself of some of those things, but also kind of celebrate the progress that I made on the way. And sometimes that progress was tangible in terms of yeah, you made it to Australia and you got in a boat. Woo! <laughs> Sometimes it was, you didn't die yesterday. That is amazing. Or, uh, you know, you've, you've, you've managed to keep going, even though it was really tough uh, over the last month. And I think, again, there's something about just the rawness and the realness and like the, the line between death and life at sea of, of surviving and not that brought all of that into such clear focus yeah. that there was no option but to do it and find a way to just get on with it and in it reminds me of diane diane and i had um phrase uh is it yeah find find a way just find a way that sense of just find a way it's like water isn't it water will always find a way through and i think yeah there was something very pure about that out on the ocean of having to find ways to come back to that place of centering and, and sense of yeah I'm surviving I'm doing this it's okay even when at times I felt totally terrified you know to, to to be with that fear and let that be okay as well which I think in my life before the ocean I'd always pushed fear away I'd kind of tried to suppress it and push it down and um so on so I think all and all of those things that I've learned I learned out there you know at 24 um I think that they're things that you have to keep on well I find I do anyway I have to keep on learning and keep on reminding myself to let go and welcome the fear in and be with that and I had this again very naive sense <laughs> previously in previous cycles of storms that I faced on land you know inner storms of 
oh, but I've, I've done that. Sure, sure, why am I feeling this again? Because I thought I'd done that. And then actually realizing, no, you muppet. This is just like the seasons that we see outside yeah. in nature. You know, it's a constant yeah. birth. It'll come uh, back. Rebirth, yeah. life, all of that. Just, yeah. it's it's process, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's ever changed. It is like the sea. I think the sea is such a great metaphor for everything or even like the water cycle, just water. Just that sense of different states and different, um, yeah, different states and different movements and coming through all these different kind of energies, but they cycle and they're connected and it's all process. Yeah. 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 I, I resonate with everything you say. I just <laughs> feel like, wow, yes, yes, yes. And I find it's so interesting what you say about, you know, sometimes... I mean, anybody will think about you out there on the Indian Ocean in a storm and on the Pacific Ocean and on the Atlantic Ocean mm. in a very small boat alone mm. in a little rowing boat and a hurricane comes along because they mm. did and you get your boat gets thrown upside down so your head into the water and but then your boat is designed so it can go back up again and you're thrown around. Uh, that's just part of what a journey like that entails, like right? Mm -hmm. And anybody, and four months alone in a small rowing boat on an ocean, you know, anything happens and you're gone. Mm -hmm. And anybody will think, well, that must be so difficult. But I love what you're saying that in some ways, it's almost easier <laughs> than normal life on land. <laughs> It's more because straightforward. It's much yeah. more straightforward. And also there's not so there's much more clarity because there's not so yeah. much confusion and there aren't many choices. Yeah. It's like when you're on land and something is happening, something in your relationship, or should I do this? And there's so many choices. Mm -hmm. And you get so you just lose the clarity in the mm -hmm. hundred different choices. Should I do this or that? Or should I say this or that? Out there is like there's there's two yeah. choices or three every time yeah. no? I agree with you and that that really reminds me of um coming back home from the ocean yeah I remember towards the end of my journey I started to almost fear coming home because of of that it, I had this sense of my life on the boat is everything that I need okay people quite useful but you know <laughs> I've got the things that I need. I know where everything is. I don't waste anything. I'm comfortable here. I know how it works. And I'm very much in tune with the rhythms of the world around me. And anticipating coming back to land, I had exactly that sense of what's it gonna be like? I don't know if I can cope. This is my world now. And when I did come back to land, I, um, I really struggled. And, and choice was definitely one of those things that really um, felt very bewildering and, and almost too intense to be with because like a six meter long boat and I've got three sets of clothes and food that's kind of rationed out day by day and, and so on. And then come back to, to, to home, to a building and there's all these rooms where I can put stuff. I go to the supermarket and there's 20 different types of orange juice and I also had this real sense of how much wastage there was as well. And that really felt um, very uncomfortable and threatening, I think, as well. So, um, yeah, I don't know about you and your transitions from the simplicity of life at sea to the not so simplicity life of uh, being on land. But I found it both coming off the Indian Ocean and my other journeys as well, really 
discombobulating, which I think is an underused word. We should say discombobulating more often. Is that actually a real word? <laughs> that or is, is that something you made up? <laughs> no, it's a real word. Discombobulating. It means, well, I mean, I don't know if the, the positive version of it is bobulated, but it means when you feel like, I always feel like discombobulated is a bit upside down and back to front and topsy-turvy, like, whoa. You can totally <laughs> hear what it means, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you feel discombobulated on coming back to that? Well, that's my favorite word from now on. <laughs> I'm going to say that to everyone. Discombobulated. <laughs> um, it was probably different for me because I was surrounded by people. Of but course. one thing that was different on my journey from yours is that I was actually away from the Western world for three mm. years without going home. Mm. So, so I just set out from the Faroe Islands and came back to the Faroe Islands three years later and just sailing, sailing, sailing. So uh, uh, so when I did come back, I left when I was just turned 21, came back home when I was 24. Mm. I found it difficult to fit in to the mm -hmm. Western culture. Also because at that age, a lot happens in your development mm -hmm. and so on. So I would look around and I just, honestly, I didn't understand why, why are mm. they living like this? <laughs> and it took me a long time to adapt a yeah. really long time to adapt to normal what people do and what they say and what they're worried about mm. and what they talk about and what their values are that took me a long time and one of the things was as you say the waste Mm -hmm. that when you came back you were shocked by how much waste there is because you and your little boat had everything you needed mm -hmm. for four months for me it was more the materialism mm -hmm. like how uh, um, how uh, engaged people are with having stuff mm -hmm. and that really provoked me a lot um, yeah yeah no I hear you on that and I think still I I you, you said you struggled to kind of come to terms with that when you came home. I think even now living in a Western culture, I struggle with that concept too. Yeah. And I read a, a thing the other day, something like 30% of food gets wasted. I don't know if that's globally or within the UK or what, but that just frightened me too. Yeah. That sense of so much, so much waste. Yeah. And a disconnect. It feels like a disconnect from, yeah, yeah from the rhythms of, of nature and um, from the, the realness of life somehow. Like intimacy with the world, we might yeah, say. Exactly. <laughs> that was the world I was thinking about, the realness. Yeah. Because the yeah. realness is that this food comes from somewhere and mm -hmm. we should have more reverence mm -hmm. for this planet that's providing this food for us or, mm -hmm. or even this air for us and that we just discard it and, and hold it so lightly. It's like, how can yeah. we hold this so lightly? This is fantastic. Yeah. And to, to sense, to know that we are as connected to the earth, you know, we are, or we are made of the same elements and things as all the things I see in my garden out there, you know, in terms of those natural beings. I find that super cool to, and like mind boggling and exciting to, whether it's out on the sea or in the garden or, or sitting here at this wooden table to know that I am of the same, I'm of the same stuff as all of that and connected by virtue of being on the same planet at the same time and yeah. all of these things. 
and 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 doesn't that give a kind of peace mm-hmm. to know that like wow i'm part i'm really truly i belong yes, i belong, I belong. Yeah, you know, and don't we so often seek our belonging and so on and and feel unbelonging? Yeah. But there's something yeah, really peaceful. I agree yeah. about that. Like there's like a coming home, isn't there? Yeah. It's like a coming home to yourself and your place in the world. But then when you were sailing, I so you did first did you did the Indian Ocean and mm-hmm. then you came back and you did that successfully and fantastically. Then you came back to Britain and then you said, you know what? I'm going to go all the way around the world, uh, self power. Yes. I'll cycle yes. over the continents and I'll row over the other oceans, the the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean. But in the Pacific Ocean, you actually, yeah, well, maybe, maybe you can tell us about that that storm because I want to speak about your. PTSD that followed from that mm-hmm. yeah it's it's not a great time in my life to talk about that one ah, um, maybe we shouldn't then <laughs> but, yeah but it's it's okay because I've learned how to not be discombobulated by talking about it ah. and I think that was a really important thing for me um yeah sort of after it all happened to and it's taken some time to to sort of understand the impact and to understand how to be with it as well and how to heal so for the listeners who don't know um on my on my round the world journey I'd so I'd kayaked and cycled from London to Japan in the first year of the journey the first seven months and my rowing boat Gulliver had been shipped out to Japan ready to uh, ready to row across the Pacific to North America and I set out to see and within 30 days, um, I was I was back on land, um, having been through a, a, a tropical storm where my boat had been so badly damaged that I was picked up by the Japanese Coast Guard and, and taken home. And the result of that was, yeah, deep trauma that now my understanding of trauma and so on, that kind of journey it's taken me on is that nothing exists in isolation that actually those that trauma from the ocean of of having spent three days in conditions where I didn't know if I was going to survive if I didn't know I didn't know that I was going to be okay um that the way that kind of patterns into our brain connects into other other things that you know are of that same version of threat and and so on and so over the over the years that followed, um, I yeah I realized actually I had quite a bit of trauma to to be with and to to heal and to process and to learn different ways of being with those things. It's interesting I said before about the Indian Ocean and about grief that I would I had the sense of sort of surrendering to what was there and um, letting it almost letting it move through me. And I think that my early years growing up I'd been very much conditioned not to do that with big feelings it was I went to boarding school when I was eight for a few years and so it's say like, no more go, yeah go and go and be an adult at eight like and don't show don't show vulnerability don't show these things and arguably those qualities and skills serve me very well in many ways but you know I've been living 
the consequences of that over the last few years, I think, because I've sort of realized that that's not a way to, to be <clears throat> and that vulnerability and, and allowing emotions to, to metabolize and do their thing is so important and healthy. So my journey with the trauma um, over the last few years has been messy as anything, <laughs> but ultimately really kind of powerful in healing for the self-knowledge that I've gained, the peace that I've found, the sort of self-love that I've been able to cultivate, um, the, the connection, the increased kind of connection with myself and the world and, and others and, and empathy for others that, that that's helped foster as well, um, which has been really, yeah, really magic. And I, I kind of, I, I wouldn't have wanted it to be any other way. Um, and it's interesting too, because, so I was, um, when I was picked up from the ocean and I came back to the UK and in my sort of shell-shocked state was trying to get the expedition going again. You know, I had the strong sense of wanting to get back out and carry on with my journey. Um, well, during that time, just a few months before I set out, again the following year I met uh, Lucy who I fell in love with and um, I'm now married to and so the ocean didn't just give me all those storms and, and so on it, it brought me to to my my life partner which is so magic yeah. so every storm has a silver lining and a wife apparently <laughs> So get yourself to see, folks, if you're looking for a wife. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's, I find it so interesting what you're saying, uh, how, how uh, I think you said somewhere in this, probably before you went onto the Pacific Ocean, you said that you also wanted to go on the Indian Ocean, that first journey. To, to develop yourself and to, to see what you could find. <laughs> and it's, it's so amazing how, how we always have to learn through great sorrow and despair that that's when we really learn, when we hit rock bottom. That's mm -hmm. when the big realizations about who we are and what we're all about and that humility that, mm -hmm. you know, that and also I, I loved what you said about that compassion for other people that when you see other people you know that we all suffer and we're so vulnerable and it just makes you very tender doesn't it mm -hmm. like oh, life is actually really hard <laughs> yes I hear you I hear you on that um, so so it's it's a terrible thing mm -hmm. but it actually yeah as you said there is a silver lining to it although it's very rough for a very long time mm-hmm most definitely and it's it's really shaped yeah it's definitely shaped kind of the course of my life since then as well and I think actually whether you're conscious of it or not trauma does that doesn't it you know trauma brings out patterns and, and things and I, I just feel really grateful and glad that I have yeah had the consciousness around it the people around me to help sort the help that's allowed that consciousness and been been in a place and with an intention of like I I need to understand me and I need to heal you know because um it, it is a really tough thing to do and 
requires a lot of the people around you as well. And um, I know that that's not a position that everyone finds themselves in to no, be able to or, or with the resource or, or so on to do that. And certainly um, it's shaped my, it's kind of shaped my life in terms of I'm training to be a therapist now. And um, one of the really important parts or one of the really important um, kind of areas of therapy that, that did so much for me was equine therapy, working with horses. I and just bought the horse. Oh man, it's like we were made to be friends. Well, do you know we we we've got donkeys now because of that. And I can't imagine life without donkeys. And just ah oh, man, horses, equines, what what wise teachers and healers and just beings that are so I was talking about it with a friend earlier. Um she was talking about her toddler kind of living hard and fast and real and that sense with the um horses of showing me like you can say what you need and you can take what you want and and be okay with that and and you're um I don't know just there's like an enoughness about an animal that just knows just knows such deep wise things I don't know if I've described that very well but I'm excited tell me about your horse yeah, uh, well, I think that my horse came around because, you know, with the COVID and everything, because obviously Spain is not my home country. My home country is the mm-hmm. So I have friends like in many places. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always living in Spain, but traveling quite a lot, also mm-hmm. for work. And so with the COVID, I've just been like put and I live in the countryside mm-hmm. and I've always said, no, I can't have animals, can't have animals. But I grew up with animals. I grew up with cats and mm-hmm. dogs and horses. We even had a cow when I was little. Uh, <laughs> and so this year I've got a dog. Now I've got two dogs because another <laughs> dog has come to live with me. <laughs> I love this. I can't have animals and now I've got a fleet of animals exactly, and a horse. Yes. <laughs> like, and then it was like, well, I'm here and I've got the land. And I, you know, and it's a little bit like what you said when you said about setting out on the ocean, like I'm going to go around the world because if I don't do it now, yeah. when will I do right. it? And I right, had that right, kind of right. feeling. Well, if I don't get a horse now. <laughs> if a pandemic isn't a good enough sort of time to uh, be at home and have a horse, then when is? Man. Yes. Oh, this is great. Yeah. And and I love what you said about what what, what these animals shows, show us, the equines, for example. Because I see her and she's so beautiful. She's so mm. pretty, you know, and I just want to go over and be with her and hug her. And, and I want her to accept me and I want to like be with her and touch her. But then I'm kind of training to, to be really slow and let her come mm-hmm. to me and not invade her space like that. You know, yeah. it teaches me that kind of just slow down. Yes, donkey wisdom. I call this donkey wisdom about being slow, right? So I get a bit annoyed with them sometimes when I'm trying to take them for a walk and they don't want to go at my pace. And it's just such a good reminder of, hold on, you're not the only one having a walk here, Sarah. They are too. And they're pondering their decisions in a way that sometimes I don't ponder, I just go for it. And uh, so they definitely encourage me to ponder more and slow down and also I tell you the big revelation last year I mean you're a few years older than me so I hope that you landed on this wisdom before I did but um, they taught me last year that you don't need to be exhausted to have a rest who knew 
who knew? I thought that resting was something you did when you were so exhausted, you were poorly and you had to recover. But no, resting is this sweet, delicious thing you can do when you like and you can do it for moments and it's so important and it's a luxurious kind of thing that we need as much of as we can possibly get. That blew me away when I worked that out. When the donkeys were just like, oh, I'm tired, I'm going to stop and doze in the sunshine. <laughs> and I was like, you can do that? No. <laughs> That's donkey wisdom. Yeah, it's donkey wisdom and saying what you need and uh, and needing what you needing what you say. Yeah, it's just being unashamed. Like if they don't want you near them and you've got to near them without watching their cues, they'll just kick you, you know, and there's something very I mean, I'm not saying we should kick people, but there's something very clear about their boundaries and their needs and what they're willing to do and what they're not willing to do. And I think that in the same way that we reflected on, um, you know, being able to, to, to be a certain way when you're away from people and that sort of simplicity and focus, because uh, we're away from conditioning, I think boundaries and needs and honoring that is such a, unfortunately, such a tricky thing to do sometimes, because we get so caught up in the tangle of what other people want to need and think and all of that rubbish. Yeah. The donkeys uh, don't care about no, other they, they don't have that, that kind of no. other people's expect of you and no. yourself they're, they're just they, they are proud them. to be a donkey right they're just like i'm a donkey this is how i do donkey if you don't like that then go <laughs> your problem yeah yeah, yeah. there's yeah. something really cool about that yeah i actually interviewed a woman that uh her name is kelly wendorf and she does this kind of, her book is called um, Flying Lead Change. You oh, are going step. to love that book. It's mm. about, not donkey therapy, but uh, horse <laughs> uh, equine. Oh, great. Yeah. It's, it's really Wendorf. Have you read um, Horses Never Lie by Mark Rashid? No. That's another great one yeah. in terms of, it's like what the horses teach us essentially and how to be with horses. And um, I found it useful even for thinking about how to be with humans as well. Yeah. So I love that, that it translates, you know, oh, they're definitely. being herd animals and um, so in tune with each other and accepting us into their herd as well, that we get so much information about how to be and how to communicate from them. Yeah. Um, and, and also another thing with animals, especially with horses like dogs are very different they just love you they, yes. they love you anyway you know <laughs> you can be as neurotic as you want to they're yes. still gonna go like <laughs> i'm so happy to see you my favorite person yeah. in the whole wide yeah. world <laughs> but with horses you kind of have to be pretty real you have mm. to you can't be like lost in your head mm -hmm. and lost in your neurosis and being in a hurry and you know, looking at your watch, we're going mm -hmm. for a walk now because afterwards I have to do this. It's like either you go drop right down into your body or just forget about it. Yeah, isn't it so good in that respect? Like just a real, a real grounding. I've got a, I've got a thing. I've got a tattoo on my arm saying "Be here now." Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think the equines are totally they've got that nailed haven't they it's like they've got the tattoo across their head <laughs> or they don't need the tattoo because they just know yeah yeah 
they just know. Yeah. So are you, uh, have you left behind all the, the, uh, the having to bike mm. across continents and sail across oceans? <laughs> well, I feel, I feel more like I've not left it behind or, I've, or, or is it almost like I've had to leave it behind for now as in the chapter of my life right now doesn't allow the space for that in the same way like it's more a bit like I said earlier you know I feel like I my heart and my soul are in the sea or, or on the land that there's parts of me that are always out there and that's enough sometimes to know and to know that I've had those experiences um, and will have them again in some way they might just be different um, but that right now being rooted to a patch of earth in Oxfordshire um, with my wife Lucy and with our donkeys and, and looking at creating a family, um, you know, that that is, that is the chapter, the adventure that I'm on for now. Yeah, um, I, I love is, that because I love that it's not that all my life I'm going to be doing the same thing. It's like, well, I, I did that. I learned what I needed to learn there. Now I need to learn this. <laughs> yeah, I'd not thought of it in those terms, but I, I think that and that sense of um, being open to what what happens and yeah, and being open to the different needs of different times as well. I think yeah. of because people have had, had always said or often said, "Are, are you going to settle down now?" And I had this real resistance to the word, like settle down, what is it? And, and is that on your terms or mine? And I don't know, I probably thought too much about it. And then I realized actually, God, no, it, I, I do want some version of settling. And I do want um, some version of connection to a place where there is a community that feels more fixed than what I've experienced before. And realizing like, oh, okay, if that's settling down, I'd I'm having some of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So yeah, I don't I don't know how yeah, how do you feel about about that? And you know, you're you you said um now is the time that you've got two dogs and a horse and, and those things have changed. How does life look ahead for you, you know, post this year? And yeah, I I love what you said about the openness. Let's see what comes. If, if I'm open, then opportunities can arise. If I'm not mm -hmm. open, no opportunities will arise. Not that I'm looking for opportunities, but I love that life doesn't have to be the same thing. Like mm -hmm. it, can, it, it can change and something else can be in focus for some years. And then you change. I, I had the huge focus on cycling for many years and it was mm -hmm. just cycling and competing and cycling and running and cycling that's gone <laughs> I, mm -hmm. I still enjoy cycling but I'm not obsessed with cycling mm -hmm. but I'm glad I had that obsession it was fine yeah and now it's other things and I'm open that there will be some other things like now I'm very much into teaching mindfulness and mm -hmm. creating courses and and I'm sure that that will develop into something else I, I love that openness that you said that who knows mm-hmm it's exciting that way as well isn't it yeah and that like and we that don't we know so much to learn on this journey yeah. Of life. <laughs> yeah and we don't have to be defined by one episode in our life no or one one label almost I know sometimes I struggle with that when I feel I feel like a label's been put on me from an outside of yeah. 
oh, those adventures, your adventure. And I'm like, but there's other things that I've done in my life too. Like there's other parts of me. And um, yeah, that probably says more about <laughs> me than, <laughs> than the label itself. But yeah, I think fluidity, that's the thing. It's like fluid and flow and process. That's how I see it. Yeah. Being, yeah, open. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And, and th I find it very interesting, the things about labeling, because uh, it's also difficult when other people put a label on you that you're the adventurer and you're the brave one and you're the courageous one. And it's like, okay, if I'm all those things, how am I then going to be able to be vulnerable and deal with my PTSD? And <laughs> Yeah, do you know, I'd not thought of it in those terms. As, as the label, but certainly coming home from the Pacific, I had this sense that people expected I should be okay. And, oh, you must be so happy to be home. And, oh God, you're going out to sea again, are you? And, and kind of a disconnect in what I was feeling and, and almost, almost that. And maybe some of it was my sense too of feeling like I had to live up to that somehow. And my own conditioning from the past of, well, I can't show people what's really going on. I have to pretend and get through it and uh, convince myself it's all okay. Um, but yeah, I think there probably was almost a lack of, yeah, was it a lack of awareness maybe from some folks of, and a lack from me too, lack of awareness from me too about what was going on and the sort of profundity of it. And yeah, I'd never considered it in those terms of, the labels that are that go with it yeah That's because there's always an expectation in a label isn't it because it mm. fixes you that you are that person mm -hmm. and I, let me ask you one thing i know that when you went across the indian ocean which was again your first mm -hmm. uh, rowing across your first ocean you you had these three um things that kind of carried you through and you called them the a b and the c the a was the attitude <laughs> the b was the belief and the c was the courage so now all these years later and with so many different kind of experiences later and a lot of soul searching and knowing yourself how do you relate to those two like mm -hmm. th those will carry me through the attitude the belief and the courage what's your relationship to, mm. to those three concepts yeah it's interesting qualities it? <laughs> putting labels on things so i i um i sort of created that little abc after the ocean when i was talking about it and i was trying to um i suppose convey to people a, a, like a, a little take home of these these things and i think i think now there's a lot more softness in how I perceive what got me through and, and what's important in getting through life's oceans and storms and, and all of that. And that there needs to be softness, you know, it's not all just about going for it like that, you know, that, or, or that maybe I'm thinking of those things in slightly different ways. Like actually there's great courage in being vulnerable and asking for help, which I didn't, see that before um and that there's a need for softness you know toughness is as much about softness as it is about just keeping going just keeping going just keeping going um and that attitude um I, I think my sense from that indian ocean journey was more around yeah i've got to have a positive attitude where i can 
Whereas now I'll kind of say, well, yeah, the positive attitude is really important when you can foster it and when it's there, but it's equally as important to welcome in everything else that's there as well and to let everything have a seat at the table because it's all serving a purpose, there's a need, there's something there that needs to be expressed. Um, and with the belief, I wonder, that's an interesting one too. Um, I think, you know, pre post Indian Ocean, that belief was around that sense of, I believe in what I'm doing and I, I believe that I'm gonna get through it. And I think again, there's, there's almost more scope for that to be full of different colors now in that sense of, yeah, there'll be times where I don't believe I can do it and that is okay. And that's so important to be real with that. Um, and yeah, so I think, there's just a lot more softness somehow and a lot a lot more flow i suppose um and um there's something really important about letting go that kind of came through those later journeys and um and trust as well i put trust in there trusting the process and, and trusting that it will all be okay in the end somehow and you don't have to know how it's going to be and you don't even have to understand what it's going to be um, and that letting go of something is just as important as holding on at times you know perhaps even more so because in letting go there's there's the chance for change and transformation and growth you know so coming across the Atlantic Ocean in 2015 on the homeward stretch of my London to London journey um, there was a hurricane coming my way <laughs> Like same old story again, but I chose a different option. Out on the Pacific, my 25-year-old self had said, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait it out. I'm gonna see what happens." You know, batten down the hatches. What an idiot! On the, that's not a kind thing to say. I just wouldn't make that decision now. On the Atlantic Ocean, with a, a hurricane coming my way and, and sort of a couple of days out, I decided I was going to take the pickup. You know, and 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 let that journey go essentially, um, and I did have to physically let my boat go, which was so heart wrenching. But I remember being on the boat, this big boat that was picking me up, um, like a big cargo tanker thing, and just feeling a sense of ease at knowing, at trusting that that was the right decision for that moment for that version of me then in the same way that actually 25 year old me wasn't an idiot that was the right decision for her then and um to yeah to 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 let go of needing to carry out the journey in exactly the way that I'd said that I would by joining up all the dots you know that was not that's not what I was there for it was about much more than that and so yeah I'd add in letting go to that sort of bundle of bundle of core things that has got me through stuff yeah and learnings. it's very interesting what you say that you imagine this journey and then I row across the Atlantic and the course goes more or less like this and it's a bit like life 
doesn't do that yeah, <laughs> the, the, dots don't, the dots don't they're not very orderly they go all over the no. and, and it's the like richness we, comes in that yeah and it's like when we go on an adventure like that we've got it all planned out and we think well this section of my life needs to go at least to order because I've planned it like this yes but life doesn't do that Did life it's, read the plan hold on <laughs> yeah no and I um I found on on that round the world journey that some of the best stuff came from stuff not going to plan at all or the surprises like Gao in China, a young guy in China, he um, wanted to join me on my bike, like on a total whim. He'd never cycled more than a few miles and he cycled a couple of thousand miles and we had the best time. And if I hadn't been willing to let go of that sense of, well, this is what's going to happen, I'm by myself, then that wouldn't have happened for me or for him. And it was magic. And out on the Pacific the second time, so if the storm hadn't happened, uh, out on the Pacific the second time, the weather was so poor, I didn't row to Canada as we'd planned. I ended up going north to Alaska. And what followed was this incredible and incredibly challenging, but just hugely rewarding, um, three and a half month journey kayaking through the Aleutian Islands. And like, that would never have happened if it hadn't gone to plan and we hadn't kind of gone okay we need a new plan let's do this so it, it really showed me that value of well fluid and flow and process I suppose of, of being open like we said to to what happens and letting go of that which has happened or isn't happening anymore or a need for it to be a certain way so yeah and adapting to what is real in this moment mm -hmm. I didn't plan for this but this is what's here now how yeah. can I hold this how can I adapt to this that's it and to, I think there's something in that around trusting somehow and and being present being here now of like you say this moment what's real what's needed right now not what was right two and a half years ago when we set out not what's going to be right in two and a half years time when we're settled and have a horse and two dogs, but right now, what do you need right now? That's so difficult though. Eh? That's probably most of the, one <laughs> yes. of the most difficult things. We to know what you need, do. to know what you need or to stay focused in the here and now, both. but both those things. Yeah. I think if you are able, when, you, when in those moments when you are really able to be here now, mm -hmm. you do get in touch with what do I need right now. Mm -hmm. But it's so difficult for us to come into the be here now, mm -hmm. that true contact with ourselves. Mm -hmm. And unless we are there, we're not going to know what we need. We're and just then, confused. yeah, and then there's the challenge of, okay, so you know what you need. Are you able to make that happen or allow it to happen or take what you need or um, find what you need or say no to what you don't need? Mm. Like that's another whole layer of stuff as well, isn't it? Yeah. Um, that gets ever trickier sometimes being in the context of people, but then equally, I don't know, the donkeys show me that it is possible and that it's about being able to communicate and yeah, communicate in both directions, that that can happen. It's just not easy and it takes practice and process. And, yeah. You know. yeah, 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 <laughs> it's, it's, it's life, isn't it? And it's trying to be, trying to become better at doing life. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
of I mean, that's what people ask what the purpose of life is, right? Well, surely it's trying to become better at doing life and <laughs> letting it flow. And yeah. And it's amazing how it can sound, you know, you, you and I can say the words of how we, <clears throat> that you should rest in the process and trust the process and be in the process, let the process hold you or, yeah. And it all sounds very good. <laughs> then real life happens. And Messy as heck, hey? There was something that came up for me, was it last year or a couple of years ago when I was in a really, really messy time and the trauma was all flaring again. And it was this like another cycle of real dark, shitty mess where I didn't want to be in the world. I couldn't see a way for me to be in the world. And um a friend of mine was really just so kind and generous with her sharing of her versions of mess of recent times, which is really important to hear, like to lend that strength and vulnerability so that people can hear like, okay, you're not the only one with the mess and the shit and that aloneness. Um, and she, she had this mantra of trust the mess, trust the mess, trust the mess. And um, there's an Instagram account that I follow that I really enjoy called bless the messy. And that sense of like, if there's a way, however hard it can feel to, to somehow even say it out loud, even if you don't believe it, but just, yeah, about holding that that is as sacred and important as the stuff that feels so joyful and heart bursty. And, mm -hmm. and being able, even when it's not possible in the moment, but once you're through it enough to be able to look back on it, and see it with that sense of reverence or gratitude somehow. I think that's important because I know certainly in noticing my own cycles of storminess that just I can get out of those storm bits quicker or with more trust that I can get out when I've had more awareness more recently of having made it through and having gained something from it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and, and as you say, if you have that as your, your kind of a mantra, like a guiding star, trust the mess, then yeah. you know it's okay. It's yeah. okay. Like if you accept the mess and say, you know, you can be here, then it just yeah. takes the edge off the mess. <laughs> yeah, like I love you in whatever state you are, messy or whatever. <laughs> and knowing that, yeah, that you're going to come out the other side of it. Yeah because hmm. everything changes doesn't it everything changes yeah absolutely and it, whether we changes. whether we make an effort for it to change yes it will change just wait it'll do it like oh there's a lovely quote by Rumi let go of effort and peace will arrive that sense of like it's gonna happen you don't even have to worry about it and it will happen <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. You know what? I can I can see just to to end off here. I can see that this uh, quote by Andre. Uh, I don't know how to say his, uh, his surname. <laughs> oh, Jeet. Yeah, Andre Jeet. I think it's Jeet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You say you 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 say this is one of your quotes that you like that goes like this: that man cannot discover new oceans unless he has courage to lose sight of the shore. And that's kind of what we're talking about also on an inner mm. level. So it's like you have to just trust the, the uncertainties mm -hmm. and, and let go of knowing what's going to happen to this mm. mess or am I going to go through this that unless you let go, you're, you're not going to learn something new. 
Yeah, like let go to learn. I took a picture of a um I took a picture of a picture <laughs> when I was in London, like over a year ago when I was last allowed in London, somebody had pasted it onto the wall and it said, let go to move forward. And that kind of resonated. Yeah. Like you say, that sense of you've got to let go to go and have a go, even though it can be scary as anything sometimes. Yeah. It reminds also- me of yeah I was gonna say it reminds me of swimming in the ocean from my rowing boat people um there's a clip in my film have you seen my film no I've only seen clips oh you have to I'll send you the link to my film so you can watch the whole thing yes Um, and and get your ocean fix yes Um, so yeah there's a clip in my film where I'm I'm trying to get the courage to jump into the water in the middle of the ocean and it is like I swam in the ocean more than the film suggests but this was still for minutes at a time on the edge of my boat being like ah I can't get into the water and people would say what was wrong why couldn't you get into the water and I'd say think about it my boat is out there miles away from anybody else I'm alone I'm tethered to the boat and there's miles and miles of ocean beneath me there's so many unknowns I know that getting into the water is going to feel so good for my soul and my body but I know I'm going to be terrified of what hypothetically might eat my toes as well. And um, it feels like such a good analogy for that of like, you, you've got to let go to have a go, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. And I know that feeling, you know, that the Pacific ocean is like 4,000 meters deep and we didn't, we were swimming also without the line. Like, so I would swim away from the boat because other people were on the boat and then just see the boat, this, little thing and and then if you look and the water's really clear so you see very fast it's just you can start hyperventilating yeah. because it's like is there a shark or a yes. sea monster or a, like what's lurking out there uh, it, and there was one day on the pacific where i i was thinking oh, i'm so hot i should have a swim I looked over the side of the boat and bearing in mind when I'm sitting on the boat, I could touch the water with yeah. my hand, you know, I'm so close. And I looked over and there was a shark right there by the side of my boat. So I didn't swim that day. But oh. That just kind of reminded me of, okay, this is why it's so scary to swim in the middle of the ocean by yourself. Um, yeah. It's sensible. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, the shark probably wouldn't have been very interested in you. In no, your I know, but in your in yes, the head I know though, like woof there was one day in the water um I turned around like I I like kicked my legs to turn around to get back to the boat and it kicked up a load of white water you know bubbles and I freaked out I was like ah, it's, something is trying to eat me and then I realized that it was just me I was scared of my own bubbles yeah um, it's but so funny again, the mind games isn't it? i know the mind games it's it's our biggest challenge is our own mind yeah yeah you you and i had a bit the same experience i don't know in which ocean you had it but i had it in indonesia of swimming with the cascalot the sperm the sperm whale <gasps> Whoa. Oh. That's amazing. I didn't swim with them, but I was so close to yeah. them in the boat and yeah. they hung out by the boat and that was so magic. Whoa. So you swam with them. You got in the water. We, with we them. were sailing and then we saw them and we, it was like, oh. Oh, get on the goggles, get on the gear and let's go and, and see Whoa. them. But and could I, you hear them? You must have been able to hear them in the water talking to each other. Isn't that yeah. incredible? 
and it's so strange how how that kind of wilderness that huge animal that's so gracious or so calm or or so being in its beingness how Mm. you had exactly the same experience of me like Mm -hmm. that is pure reverence like Mm -hmm. oh my goodness it's like big moments in life seeing those eyes they look so old and so wise Uh don't they and seeing, I, I just remember seeing their teeth because they were spy hopping out of the water and just, yeah, knowing that we were connected to each other, not just by virtue of breathing, this, like literally breathing the same air and, and being in that same patch of ocean, but that I was as, well, I was interested in them and I perceived they were interested in me. You know, there was reciprocal curiosity and just, um, yeah, when people ask about, you know, what's your favorite moment and it's so tricky to get one moment but that one often comes to mind as a just that way of showing like you say that sort of reverence and sense of I had a real sense with with those whales of here I am in your ocean Mm. and like often be often feeling this curious paradox almost of I feel at home on the ocean like I I feel that I'm, I'm surviving here for months at a time but then and I'm right here alongside all these animals, creatures great and small and, and feeling the rhythms of, of the wild like that. But then being reminded, you know, when you, you see that um, you're getting turned around in a storm or um, that, that you're having to cook something on a stove on the deck, kind of being reminded, like, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm just a visitor. I'm just, I'm just being allowed passage or not <laughs> through your ocean. And just a huge sense of humility I think and like almost gratitude somehow um for the for their beingness and their being there whilst also this kind of a real sadness and a sense of responsibility too of gosh my species so-called humanity not very humane all the time is ruining your ability to be here yeah just that curious do you do you think that you things do you think that that sense of the animals and the biodiversity being just as important as me and really feeling that kind of you belong on this earth and you have all Mm -hmm. the right to be here do you think that that sense would not have been so strong in you had you not spent that time on the ocean Mm. yeah I wonder I, I feel that that time alone was so profound in my sense of being what's about about cementing that sense of being or giving me such profound experiences of that beingness and connectedness like yes I was out there and I was a visitor but that connectedness to the universe and when people talk about um like an assumption, you know, you're talking about, oh, you know, you're the adventurer, you're the brave one. And and I know one thing people say is, I couldn't do what you did. I'd have got so scared. And I sort of say, well, I I did get so scared. The two are not mutually exclusive. And similarly, people assume that I was lonely. They'll say, how did you cope with the loneliness? And I I don't feel that loneliness was a thing out on the ocean because my community was the stars and the waves and the animals, the fish who followed my boat, the birds who landed on my boat, the animals who dropped by, you know, that felt to me like my tribe in some ways, my community. And um, I think that 
that time out on the ocean was maybe it was just about it being a, a, a more prolonged and more intense experience for the fact I was in solitude for such a long period of time, because I feel as though I contact that sense now in perhaps much shorter bursts when I'm just in the garden with my hands in the earth and I'm, you know, moving worms out the way so they don't get pronged by the fork or listening to a blackbird earlier when I was out walking with the donkeys, you know, I, I think there's something that's a, that reflects a change in me there too around <clears throat> that kind of what is adventure or, or how does adventure happen or what's a rest, you know, like a rest can happen in the moments when one foot is off the ground and the other foot is on the ground or like a tiny moment of sitting in the sunshine that the adventure, if that is actually about a sense of connection to myself and the world and a curiosity and a, a, a kind of like a, a giving myself to the unknowing and the knowing of something that that can happen right here or down the road, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, but the I wonder ocean whether the other, the other adventure <laughs> was necessary for you to realize now that now at your age, I mean, you're 36. I think so. You, yeah. you're, too you're too wise for your age. <laughs> uh, no, I think, yeah, I definitely think that, that there was just such intensity. There, there is such intensity in life on the ocean and such like rawness and realness. And you see the seasons and the changes and you see those seasons and changes in yourself. And you, yeah, you, I felt anyway, I felt that depth of connection and, it, people sort of ask about um, spiritual experiences, you know, in terms of that attitude, belief, courage, what did it do for your belief or your religion? And I'm like, well, I don't have a religion, but I have a faith in the world and in just nature, like just a faith in that. And my time on the land, I think, feel gives me a faith in human nature, you know, in, in humanity. Um, and that's, that's what's come from that. And so I think, yeah, I think that the, um, I think that all of those experiences have, have led to this. There's a lovely line in a poem by um, Tennyson. So the poem Ulysses, and at the end of his life, he um, is talking about his life and his ups and downs and all of that and his learnings. And the, the line that I really like is, I am a part of all that I have met. And so that sense that all of those things are within me and, you know, in some way, shape or form, whether I'm conscious of them or not. They're there. Yeah. And that's really cool. And I think like when you said earlier about, are you, have you left all that behind now? I do have that sense of knowing and trusting, like those experiences are in me and always will be. And actually if, if sometimes those times of feeling lost or disconnected or so on, that coming back to some of those such real, like alive senses or connected senses, then yeah, there's, there's something really reassuring in that. Mm. Yeah, it's, and it's so much about remembering all the things you're saying now, isn't it? About remembering to connect when you're disconnected. Mm -hmm. And remembering yeah. and teaching your body 
to remember how to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And finding the ways that make that even easier. Yeah. Um, like the, I had a real stormy bit through the autumn time. And um, there's like one of my totem animals that was really important at the time were turkeys. And my whole relationship with these animals my yeah sort of changed and so I realized like oh right I need to write a message that reminds me not to listen to the turkeys uh through the megaphone but I need to take care of them like just finding different ways to change the way of being with some of those things if that makes sense just like yeah I'm going to put up the notices or I'm going to tell those friends around me like this is the code word when I send you the message with this this means that you need to see if I'm doing okay or like, um, I'd like you to, if you can, to ask me this, because I might not tell you this in that situation, you know, just, yeah, kind of yeah, learning being each clear, time. Being clear and, and asking for the support when you need it, even mm -hmm. if you, when you need it the most is often when you're not able to ask for it, isn't it? Yeah. So that's like it. warning them in, in, in beforehand that, you know, I might not say it, but I might really, really need it. <laughs> if yes. you see these symptoms, then ask me. <laughs> exactly that. Exactly that. Kind of doing the work on the in-between times almost, or like the just afterwards and working towards being able to say in the moment, I need your help. But, you know, in the meantime, like you say, if you see that, then hit the red yeah, button. And also, it's preparing <laughs> the territory, you know? It's kind of like, if you want to go on an adventure like that, like what you did on the boats, mm -hmm. you prepare for a year or two years. Hmm, and why should we do that in our, in our yeah. life as well? Like, yeah. well, you know what? I actually need to sit down and meditate every morning. Uh -huh. Because if I don't ground myself like that, I'll just go off in my yeah. head and worry and project into the future and lose myself in, in my head. Yeah. Whereas if I do that, like learning to prepare the territory so that we can mm -hmm. be good at doing the living life thing mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and letting life move through us <clears throat> yeah and then there's that thing too around um I feel like just really paying attention to what's going on and how things are changing and being like okay if I can find those ways to support myself better nourish myself and and rest and all of those things so that I don't get there as often or as quickly to those darker places or whatever it is like it's it seems endlessly fascinating to me that it is an endless process of learning and recalibrating and yeah. all of that because I think very naively the first time I had a big um yeah kind of an, an episode of breakdown really I remember speaking to someone and being like, well, now that we've done this, this won't happen again, will it? <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> How naive. And I remember it was Lucy that said to me, you know, in, in a pretty dark moment, she was like, well, it's happened before. It's probably going to happen again. Mm -hmm. And I had this sense of like, what? what? But then, you know, the other side of it kind of going, oh, yeah, actually, now that I can accept that and be with that, it's somehow less scary. So. And, and it's so interesting how when I asked you that, like, uh, that your your mottos for the first journey was was the courage, and the <laughs> belief and the attitude, and then when I asked you how do you look upon those now, and what you kept mentioning, what the word you kept saying was softness, and it's yeah. so interesting how whatever we speak about, it always comes back down to nurture, care, and softness. That yeah. that's the only way that we can 
whole life and everything that happens isn't it it's it's the only way to prepare the territory isn't it just and to survive and to grow when you're in it like to get to get through whatever comes your way yeah yeah Hmm. Sarah we've been speaking for an hour and a half and I've loved every minute of it (laughs) likewise I'm excited to meet you in real life one day but like that was real too so yeah but like in the earth or in the water I hope you enjoyed this episode with Sarah Uten. I love how this woman, who has so much willpower, bucket loads of resilience, grit, and sheer physical power, is at the same time so soft, so unpretentious, and dare I say, just lovely. As I said, the link for her film is in the show notes, and her book is called Dare to Do. If you felt inspired or learned something in this conversation, then I greatly appreciate it if you review and rate the podcast on Apple Podcast. This and subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends is truly the best way to support this endeavor. And lastly, if you feel called to go on a personal growth journey with someone like me, then you are also welcome to visit my website www.doritaholm.com and schedule a free 25 minutes one-on-one with me to see if we are a good fit. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for next week's episode. Until then, be well.